Welcome to episode 10 of Affordable Italy, Living La Dolce Vita on a Bootstring, where I tell you I've been holding out. It's November 2023. This episode was actually recorded on July 9th and then proceeded to crash my computer irrevocably. But everyone grows, including me, so here it is today. Much has happened since July. Our guest today is author Mark Hinshaw. His book is now on its second printing due to its popularity among the Italian people. Navigating Paradise, the title, has recently been recommended by the Marquet Regional Cultural Board to be included in every library in the Marquet region. In addition, the mayor of his hilltop town, San Vittoria and Matanano, Marquet, has asked to hold an exhibition of Mark's drawings as an official city event for Natale, the Christmas season celebration. And in his wisdom, he wants to remind you, that we've heard many rumblings of change regarding immigration to Italy even since July. His advice? Educate yourself and be apprised of change. He knows it's not easy. In Mark's own words, all this, the book in Italian, the community, the many wonderful relationships is so far beyond anything I ever dreamt of. Talk about assimilation, folks. I would ask you, an audience interested in building a new life in Italy, can you think of anyone better to learn from? Ciao. If expatriation and immigration are on your mind, you've looked at Italy and wondered, is it possible? I did. In 2019, I was certain we could do it. In 2020, the world changed. And due to our reaction to it, our situation changed as well. I was no longer certain that Italy was within our reach. Plus, rumors about taxes and visas had me both confused and worried. Thanks to my favorite podcast, Retire There with Gil and Jean, and a bevy of generous immigrants who've gone before, as well as a personality that tends to doggedly seek to turn lemons to limoncello, my dream was rekindled. I decided to get my questions answered directly from first-person sources already experiencing affordable Italy, living La Dolce Vita on a bootstring. Join me as we explore with expats and experts if a future in Italy could be on your horizon. Mark recently wrote this. Living in Italy is like living inside multiple simultaneous movies with an endless selection of historic periods, subjects, and surroundings. Sometimes you laugh, sometimes you cry, but you're always deeply moved. The American Institute of Architects recognized Mark's decades of outstanding achievements by naming him to their College of Fellows, stating that Mark has had an influential career spanning architecture, urban planning, and journalism. His influence was not only instrumental in guiding urban design in the Seattle region, but also the way Seattleites viewed their city through his popular column that ran in the Seattle Times for 12 years. He's been widely interviewed, quoted, and cited through magazines and professional journals, as well as local, national, and international media, including the Daily Journal of Commerce, the New York Times, and numerous other sources. Prior to his move to Italy, he published two books, including True Urbanism in 2007 and City State Seattle, A Shaping of the Modern Metropolis in 1999. Interestingly, as Mark was writing, consulting, publishing, and lecturing extensively on the subject of urban design, he was well known as a proponent for innovative concepts relating to the walkability of cities, the remaking of suburbia, and the revitalization of urban centers for decades before they were popular topics. It's also notable to me that these ideas are all very consistent with Italianate living, but that's not all that was prescient about Mark's future life in Italy. Between frequent trips to Italy, he and his American wife of Italian descent, Sonny Savina Bertolini, lived in a building in Seattle called 
the Florentine, which flew the Italian flag above the entrance. His friends and clients knew at exactly which table and what hour of the morning Mark could be found with his cappuccino and the New York Times in a cafe called Umbria, located near their home. Every Saturday, he and Sonny had dinner at an Italian restaurant a few blocks away, where they got to know the staff, cooks, and owner, who often sat down to chat with them a while. Once, after Mark had had surgery, the owner brought dinner to the door and said, no charge. Unbeknownst to Mark and Sonny, it was the first taste of Italian caring and generosity that was later to enrich their lives. In 2017, after many holiday visits and two years of applying a deliberate method for searching, first they looked at regions, then they looked at towns, and finally they looked at houses. Mark and Sonny found their perfect place. They received their elective residency visas and began the bureaucratic marathon to a peaceful life in Italy. But he's not been idle there either. Recently, Mark published a book of hilarious and touching vignettes about their life in Italy called Navigating Paradise. The 2020 lockdowns had given him time to focus on writing, and he rediscovered a long Latin artistic talent the book contains pen and ink impressionistic drawings of lesser known places in Italy. Currently, Navigating Paradise is available in Italian. Listeners should be aware that Mark is working on a second volume, which will be certain to keep you updated about. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to. It's an absolute delight to finally meet you face to face, Mark, to share both your expert as a retired urban planner and expat opinion of why, after completing two years of methodical research, Marque is the loveliest place for you to call home. Yes. Thanks. It's in quite the uh, late years adventure, and it's, it, it shows that even late in life, you can have amazing things happen, and, uh, and it doesn't mean you have to slow down. <laughs> Love all of that. How did you look at all of Italy, and how did you zero in on Marque? Sure, sure. Well, actually, we didn't cover the length and breadth of all of the peninsula. I had spent the, the previous four or five decades traveling here, so I knew most of the places in, you know, the, the major destinations pretty well. It seems almost formidable, like how, how could you possibly pick one place out of an entire country? But we kind of knew from past trips and research that we didn't care for, this is, this is a very personal choice, everybody's going to be different. We didn't care for the heat of the south, extreme south, yeah. and yeah. it is hot and humid right now. I have friends that, you know, are, are dealing with 100 degree heat right now. It isn't even August. <laughs> and so uh, we knew that was not a comfort place for us. So that elim eliminated a third of the country right there. I mean, oh, wow. the, la the lower seven regions, including including Naples and, and Sorrento and beautiful places in the Amalfi Coast. We just that was for us a, a big deal. And we didn't want to consider that. Now, by the same token, the opposite end of the spectrum, we don't like extreme cold either. We lived in places that were very cold and we were, were kind of done with that. Sure. That eliminated the upper, the nor most northerly regions that are adjacent to Switzerland and Austria and, and, there were, and, and are mountainous. It's not like they're Arctic or anything. It's just we didn't want to have that be seven months of the year, which sometimes it can be. So. That took out a bunch up there. And then, frankly, we've traveled enough that we were done with tourist destinations. Hmm. And if any of your listeners have been to Florence or Rome or Venice at the peak of the season, you know how that's completely insane. Yeah. And could you imagine living in that all the time? No. And so we couldn't. And so we took out another three or four regions, uh, basically Lazio, where Rome is, 
Veneto, where Venice is, Lombardy, which is where Milan is, and Tuscany. Now, dealing with the last one, Americans in particular, and, and Brits to some extent, have read all the books about Tuscany, have seen all the movies about Tuscany, and they're always romantic, and they're always seductive, and they're always wonderful, and everything's great, and hence everybody wants to go there. Well, you know what that means? That's that's the most expensive part of Italy. Yeah. If you're looking for affordability, that would not be it. Okay. That's not that much different than the U.S. So could you live as nice as those regions are? They're beautiful. We go there frequently. Could you live there? You know, you since on an ER visa, you can't work legally. Right. Can't work in Italy. There's no even self-employment, even remote. Can't do it. You have to sign a document that says you're not going to work. So can you live on your retirement income in the most expensive part of the country? And we decided we couldn't. I mean, as nice as that might have been in theory, and we had no plenty of plenty of places over there that are beautiful and gorgeous. I, I just went to, uh, to one of them last week and had a good time there. Uh, but in terms of living full time, it's a different proposition than just visiting museums and, and hanging out in piazzas. You know, it's got to consider how are you going to do your laundry? How are you going to get your car fixed? You know, where is the where are the the reasonably priced grocery stores? Um, you know, what if they have a plumbing problem? I mean, there are all these practical things that go on in everyone's life that you don't have to do when you're traveling. You don't have to worry. That's what's great about traveling. You don't have to worry about that. But living <laughs> in a place, you have to worry about it every day of your life, and stuff is going to come up. It's old houses, stuff is going to break. Um, you know, there's things that will happen and unexpected, you know, or it can be earthquakes. It could be lots of things. It could be a, we just had a, a week long rainstorm that wrecked a bunch of the garden. And, you know, now we have to figure out what to do there. So there are all these like uh, just myriad things that go on that interrupt your, your idyll otherwise idyllic <laughs> life. And even though I, the name of the book is Navigating Paradise, some of the stories deal with how unparadise it is. It's it's not always that way. So that's why you know you you really have to learn how to laugh, and laugh frequently, because you're certainly going to be crying. And once you're done crying, you can start laughing. But it's unavoidable. You're gonna. I mean, the the various groups on Facebook that deal with expat experiences. Everybody has stories, sob stories about horrible experiences with bureaucracies with the health system, if you can, you can find bad experiences everywhere. And there are plenty, there are plenty here too. So it's not always idyllic, nor should it be. I mean, would you, I don't think you'd want to live in a place like that. So, um, but it's, it's a matter of adapting to their methods of doing things. And that can be a source of frustration too, because after all, most of us who have retired have lived in another culture most of our lives. And we're used to all of, we've gained this incredible knowledge of, if you need a washer for a, for a sink faucet, you know exactly where to get that. Right. How would you get one here? And what, what is it called? And how much should it cost? I mean, you have zero knowledge of that, of any of that. So, so you have to figure out how are you gonna learn those things all over again? And sometimes I've compared it to being a child again. You're starting completely fresh and relearning life from the ground up. And that isn't always pleasant. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to have dead ends. 
you're going to have wrong information, you're going to misunderstand something, there's going to be miscommunication, you know, it's going to, it's going to make you feel frustrated. You just have to have a sense of humor that this, this is uh, the drama of life. Sure. And sometimes it is a comedy and sometimes it is a tragedy and sometimes it's both. <laughs> so, so it's, it's, it's just, I, I view on the, the scale of things, weighing things is that while there's plenty of stuff that's angst producing, there's more stuff that's pleasure producing. And so it's worth it. It's okay. worth going through that part to get that part. <laughs> so, so. so if the if the under the Tuscan sun dream is what drew so many people to the Tuscany region that it ended up being more or less right. a land of expats, how did you then move beyond that? I, I did read in one of oh. your articles that you and Sonny actually spent, I think it was 10 days in Tuscany, and you accidentally followed the timeline of the World War II oh. liberation days. And so you were at all these different towns consecutively while they were having their festivals, which sounded charming. So it does mean you did spend some time looking there and oh, determined yeah, yeah. that we, wasn't your... your. We, we, I mean, I, there were, I have no towns there that we would have enjoyed living in. Um, I mean, I've stayed in them and, you know, I'm sure they would be fine. It's just that I knew when I started to add up costs that it just, it, it wouldn't be as workable. Sure. And sure. So, so it, it's, it fell away. And, and what happened was we, we got married about 15 years ago. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a still a new marriage. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and so I had been traveling to Italy way, way before we got married. I would take Sunny to my favorite spots mm -hmm. so she could enjoy them like I did. And eventually she said, you know, I'm a very smart woman. She said, you know, why don't we find a place that you have not been to so we can both experience it for the first time? Brilliant. And Absolutely. I said, well, good luck. <laughs> Do some research, get back to me. And she did. And she said, have you heard of Marque? And I went, huh, no, never heard of it. Had, had no knowledge of it. In fact, I asked friends who also traveled Italy frequently. They never heard of it. It's, wow. it's a weird phenomenon. Uh, I've got a theory of why Americans don't seem to know about it because just to point, just to have one little data point, we are still the only Americans within a 10 kilometer radius. We are a singular cultural addition to this, this little mini region here. So there's lots of Brits and there's Dutch people and some Germans and you know, other European nationalities, but in terms of Americans, it's not our known region. I think, look, a couple of, couple of theories is American culture appreciates convenience and mm. proximity that where you can get to your destination quickly. Well, there's no international airport in this region. There is obviously in Florence and Pisa, Pisa and, and Venice and Rome. And there's all these other destinations that are convenient to get to. So you just hop in a rental car or, or get on a train or whatever, and you're off on your adventure. There's a little airport here, but it's just the inter intra-Europe airport. No, Fran well, they, I mean, people do use it as a first first leg uh, travel itinerary where they would go to Stansted uh, and then and then go get on an international flight. I mean, that those those flights exist okay. or or used at once to go to Munich. And okay. so, I mean, but it's all only in it's only intra-Europe and they're they're small planes and they're not real frequent. It's it's a it's just a moderate. It's a it's a nice airport. It's just a moderate small. It's a, it makes me think of oh like Flagstaff or something. Just a, okay. A small small. And then there's also no big city. I mean, the biggest city is the capital in Ancona, which almost no one has heard of. 
<laughs> even though it's a Seattle-like city with ferries and ind industry and a major downtown and shopping centers and all the stuff that you know that you'd want in a big city, it's just this, not the scale of Rome or Naples or and it's on the other coast, on the east coast. So it's just not it's just not thought of. You know, I mean, I think it's a I think it's a nice city. I don't think I'm going to live there, but it's a it's a nice we we'll go there frequently. Okay, so Americans. Americans are looking for population and convenience, and they don't find yeah. it, or they don't think that they'll find it in Marques. Well, so it's not on the radar so much. Another phrase, as a writer, I'm fond of phrases. I call where we live in the middle of nowhere, but also in the center of everything. Oh, that's attractive. So we are four <laughs> hours from every single city in Italy that we want to go to. Oh. And every single major destination is within four hours of drive. Hmm. or five by train and so that's not bad i mean not for at all choices yeah. and so uh it's just that we are in the country we're surrounded by farms we're in a tiny little village that houses 1400 people and they all know each other hmm. and they now know us and we know them and we know them by first name and we know their families and hmm. all of that so it is kind of this as an you know i viewed myself as an urbanist for most of my life, be it lived in New York City and LA and San Francisco and you know, big cities. This has got a strange blend of urbanity and quietude. Hmm. And I don't know too many places that give you that. I mean, we, we look one direction out of our house at a dense urban center with five-story buildings out of masonry that have been here for a thousand years and little streets and little shops and all that. And then the other direction, we look at pure farms all the way out to the sea, just farms. And so, you know, it's, it's such a striking contrast. We can have one or the other or both as part of every day. Sure. And, uh, and there are different weather systems, there are different cultures, there are different languages. There are di I mean, everything about those two ends of the spectrum. Are, are different and you know there's festival which i just went to a i should probably send you this because it's a very cute very cute thing 100 feet from our door there was a, a what's called a, a spectacular spectaculo which is an outdoor performance mounted by local folks now these are not local here but nearby town a troupe and you know this is stuff that's been going on for centuries mm -hmm. they told tell a story using costumes and lighting and a little bit of stagecraft because you know this is a portable thing so it's a little backdrop and some few props and music and, and and a very lively narration narrator what they did was the story of the travels of marco polo to china and each of his major stops and then at each of the stops they did a i mean it sounds actually a little now i'm describing it a little odd they interpreted it through dance hmm. And through a traditional form of, of sport here called flag throwing, flag tossing. Okay. And so the actors would tell the story through the tossing of these flags high into the air and catching them in, in synchronicity at the same <laughs> moment. You know, I mean, 50 flags would be in the air and they'd all be tossed at the same time and caught at the same time. And, you know, it's a breathtaking kind of thing that's like ballet or something. And it's just like down the street. I mean, it's just like suddenly we heard, we hear, it wasn't even announced. Oh my goodness. We just heard it and Sonny went down and said, I think there's something interesting going on. You know? 
And so, and the, the, the locals, of course, know they, 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 uh, you know, they hear about this and they talk about it over breakfast or whatever. And they just showed up, you know, they don't need a sign. They don't need a, uh, they don't need an ad on the internet. They just know about it and, or hear about it and, and, and tell each other, you know, that's, it's, uh, as another crazy wild thing, this is a little bit off the subject of affordability, but uh, along the side the roadsides here, there are, um, trailers that are left parked and they have big billboards on them for things like festas and music events and stuff. And all the time we pass by and we go, God, that looks really interesting, but where is it? Like there's, there's nothing that says where it is or when it is or what date or what time. It's like, well, how are you supposed to, and you know, that doesn't make any sense. Well, everybody know who lives here knows when and where it's been happening for years. They don't need that information. Oh, sure. <laughs> it. <We'd like> to... <laughs> right. You have to tap into that somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. How interesting. And now we, we sort of know where these things are. So we do go to them. It just took time to figure the code, so to speak, of, yes. of when these events occur. This kind of like unexpected little things happen, I think, only when you live in a place. Because if you're just visiting, the chances of even encountering one of those things are slim. Right. And, right. and so it requires a, you know, a, a continuous presence. And so it's just a much different kind of way of experiencing culture. And- I, I, don't, I think traveling is fine, too. I mean, I'm not saying mm-hmm. don't do that, but it's just simply so different. It's a necessity then to connect with the local people around you who are native to the area for you to break that code. So tell me a little bit about the Marque region. And when you guys were looking, like Sunny chose that as the the first place that you would both be virgins in. You would, neither of you had experienced that. Tell me a little bit about um, what that experience was like, your fresh new open eyes to the region of Marque. What became attractive to you? And in that, how much of that was the people the Mar- do you say Marshagan? No, no, no. Really good question. You know, I hope I hope you have enough time. For- <laughs> <laughs> We're open ended um, here. Well, well. Let me let me contrast it. You know, I've had I've in my life I've probably owned a dozen houses in different parts of the country. And the U.S. In the U.S. Yes. Yeah, yeah. As Americans, we kind of assume, I think, most of us, that no matter where you live, you're going to get about the same level of goods and services because you know there are corporations that provide those uh in chain stores and department stores and grocery stores and hardware stores that you just know that's going to be there you just have to find where it is it's dependable you just learn that well here things are radically different region by region province by province and town by town i mean radically different from zero from nothing available (laughs) except maybe a bar to a lot of things available and so if you don't, if you want something that has nothing, you're, all you're doing is inhabiting a house, you know, you're, you're self-sufficient, then maybe pick the place that doesn't have anything going on. But if you feel you need to have access to goods and services of a wide variety, then you pick another place or as we did something in between. So unfortunately, Americans gravitate. I just, actually we did too. I, I have to confess. It's so much fun to look online at real estate sites and look <laughs> at those houses. Which is go, actually number wow, three. I'd live in one of those. I'd love to live in one of those. You know, it's like, just like most, a lot of people do, we developed a list of houses that we wanted to look at. And when we hired an agent, hired a real estate agent, 
And she looked at this list, very knowledgeable woman, um, heads her local chapter of the real estate agency. She looked at the list and she struck a third of them off. She said, those are houses you don't want. I know they have problems, whether it's earthquake problems or plumbing problems or foundation settling or lots of repair work. You wouldn't want to buy those houses. Now, that's invaluable information. I mean, absolutely. That just says you can't, you know, you can't depend upon the, the, suck, the seductive, and they're, and they're not going to disclose anything that's a problem. Sure. Why would they on, on the, you know, one of those glowing descriptions or the photographs? They, you know, they won't show you the junkyard that's, that you see out the bedroom window or the noisy neighbor or the fact that there's a, there's a you know, super highway that is sending noise your direction. I mean, they're not going to reveal any of that stuff. So it takes somebody that knows the local area really well and you can't find an agent that knows all of Italy all real estate is local hmm. so you can't just hire a finder firm to go find a, a place you know in a good look you know a favorite town I mean it, nothing substitutes for just seeing it yourself kicking the tires so to speak and you know uh taking it all in and that was what when we finally narrowed down to this town we decided okay let's let's spend a little more time here and we kept coming back and every time we came back somebody new welcomed us i mean it was like completely unexpected we, i mean total strangers they don't know who we are they they engaged us in conversation and, and most people know a little bit of english to be conversant you know or or we tried early versions that we knew of Italian and there was a sense of friendliness openness welcoming helpfulness kind of thing and so an example of that was we were there's I'll mention a couple examples one is we were in a bar and we talked to the barista about thinking about moving here and she came out from behind the bar and gave us a hug Oh my goodness. I hope you move here. I'd like to have you as a neighbor. Wow. This is a picture of the Marshagani people for you then. I mean, that must have been a shock coming from Seattle. Right. right. (laughs) And then there was, because Sunny has a distinctive dress. She's known as the Dona Bianca, the white lady. She only wears white flowing outfits, kind of like a habit, but classy, you know, not just black and somber. Sure. So we were walking around the town and I see approaching us from the other end of the street two nuns and you know we're getting closer and closer and thinking uh-oh something's gonna happen here <laughs> there's a white and it's black <laughs> and they stopped us and they they wanted to know what does this mean what does your dress mean in a very open friendly way i mean totally and in english like, wow oh, wow that's like what so we had this nice conversation and Sonny is pagan, and she explained that. That's, you know, her, her religion. And I, you know, I thought, oh, man, this is like, you know, here's a country that's 95% Catholic, and here are the representatives of Catholicism. <laughs> and, and at the end, they said, you know, why don't you come by and have tea sometime? Oh, my goodness. And, and, and it was just respectful. It may not be the same religion as ours, but I, we can respect it. An and overall we, acceptance you know. of difference? Yeah. Right, Interesting right. in a rural region, isn't that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I know, I know. This is a very relatively conservative region. Yeah. And then the third example is we were in a little food market because we wanted to know that's the, that is probably for us 
a key thing because we know, and this is where Sonny's brilliant. I had always had this under the Tuscan sun image of the country house, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, because that's what I had rented before. And it was just, oh, that's so ideal. He said, you know, you're getting older. What if you have to walk to the store? And it's a, it's a, it's a couple of miles. Are you going to do that? I said, no, I don't think so. It's, I think we need to look in town, in a town. Okay. So we, that's why we, why we landed here was that it was a, a town with services. But then you have to figure out, well, what services are available? And we noticed there were three food markets and we decided to check them out. Well, what do they offer? So we went into one and we were comparing things and prices and stuff. And this clerk overheard us and she wasn't even Italian, she's Russian and multilingual, married to an Italian guy, as we've since learned. And she said, what are you doing here? Well, what are you doing? She said, well, we're looking at, you know, potentially moving here and, you know, we have to figure out what are the steps we need to do. So she goes outside the store, opens, snaps open her cell phone and calls the mayor and says, can you spend time with these people and help them? <laughs> this does not happen well, in Like the, US. the clerk in the store is calling the mayor. <laughs> yeah. And he comes in the next day and spends two hours wow yeah, we've gotten to know him and his wife and it's such a you know like a slap in the face like people are actually live like this you know, we're, wow we see when we travel we see the superficial stuff we see the museums the monuments the beaches the piazzas you know the big destinations the stores the you know all of the galleries all of the stuff we see the physical superficial stuff what we don't see or rarely see as travelers is the social compacts that exist that are hundreds of years of integration into the community. And so people just simply care about one another. What a concept. I mean, <laughs> and it's, it's like, well, well, well yeah. <laughs> a couple of examples of that is I was recovering from surgery here. This is kind of a parallel story with the restaurateur in Seattle and had gotten some drugs from the pharmacy and one night 8 p.m. or so, there was a knock on the door and it was the pharmacist. And I said, oh, what, what, what do you want? He said, well, I knew that you're recovering and you may not be able to get out and about and I, I'll bring you whatever you need. I mean, hmm. a pharmacist that makes unsolicited house calls. Right. right. <laughs> Otherworldly. Yeah. Each, it just like catches your breath. Well, that's such a basic thing. How come we think it's so unusual? Why, that's crazy. We have not cared for each other for this long. I mean, in mm. such a basic, basic, humane way. I think literally it's the peninsula of Italy. The, the more that I hear, I don't think it's region by region. I think it's all of Italy that Italians tend to be caring people and they care for those around yeah. themselves. Well, the, the telling thing is one thing we had to do that we you have to, if you're on a, you're, you're on a PR visa, then you're obligated to register or you're on a track. You can't just come on a visa and stay for a year. Mm -hmm. It's really not proper to do that. I mean, I suppose you could, but that's really abusing the visa system. I agree. You, you in a sense, agree to become a resident legally and apply for residency and go through that process. And part of that process uh, requires taking a civics class. Makes a lot of sense. I have no problem with that. You mm -hmm. know, I, that is that you should know something about the history and governance of the country you're in. And then you have to pass a language exam after the third year, a basic, basic language, not, not sophisticated. So in the civics course, uh, it was, there was a section of it about the constitution of Italy. And it's clear that, that sometimes, because they adopted it after the war, that somebody probably in the occupying military forces gave them a copy of the U.S. constitution said, you know, hey, 
here's one. <laughs> See what you think. And so it's kind of similar. It's got some similarities to it, except they added their own twist to it. And so they have three pillars that supersede everything. Everything else makes so much sense because of this. One is that everybody should have useful work in life. Okay. That suggests that there should be mechanisms to give people opportunity. Second is the family is a very, very important unit and we have to do everything to preserve it, to maintain it, to nurture it. There are provisions now in laws that speak to how to keep families together and to support them. Hmm. A very important thing to do that continues the culture. It's a longevity kind of, you know, it's a survival of the species, I guess, or the culture. And then the third is everybody is obligated to contribute to their community in some way. Now, I can't even imagine all three of those things being in, a, in the U.S. Constitution. I mean, they made it their own. Right. And, and then the laws flow out from that. And so it's just, a, it's just a, a completely different sort of mental attitude about life and government. And Certainly. Even with all of the crazy bureaucratic stuff, which every, every country has, um, it still is a country that generally works well. They're smart about a lot of things. Not everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. We think it's a job description that's never been written in Italy, and that is organizer and coordinator. <laughs> that, that nobody knows how to do that. Nobody has that job description. So it's like the weird. It shows up in such the weirdest way. I'll go to a, I, the first couple of years. I go to a concert that's advertised to start at nine thirty. I'd be the only one there for an hour. Not even anybody on the stage, and the stage is a mess. There's like, no, it's just like crap all over the stage. And so it's like, what is going on here? They're just like, no stage hands, no stage management. Finally, the performers show up and they start to arrange the stage, but they're all kind of trying to talk and all at the same time, trying to figure out what to do. There's just like nobody organizing this thing. <laughs> and it's, it's just one of, again, many examples that it's like, Nobody got that training. Right, <laughs> nobody, right. Well, nobody does that job. We're so yeah. goal oriented, and it sounds like they are so much more experience and relationship oriented yes, that even right. though I can't fathom living without intense organization, it's probably the same way on the other side. They probably can't even fathom how much energy I spend in controlling. <laughs> right. <laughs> That is what you get with different cultures, different, yeah. different yeah. values. But yeah. It's so sometimes so maddening that you just have to give it up and just say, okay, that's the way it is. It yeah. isn't going to be organized. It just isn't. And, and I mean, just, just a tiny other, another tiny example is when we went in to get our residency permits to, uh, for the interview, there was a waiting room that was maybe 200 square feet, jam-packed with people all standing. <laughs> and absolutely no signs anywhere about anything that you're supposed to do on the walls, above doors, above, I mean, no signs at all. Normally in, in some government agency in the U.S., you have big arrows that point or follow this trail or ropes and, yeah, and ropes walkways. And, it's just yeah. packed with people and a group of windows at the front, you know, like the banker windows. And we're standing there and we're standing there. It's like an hour goes by. <laughs> like, oh, no. Should we watch people? What are they? What are they doing? You know. So uh, after the second hour, we realized there were people threading their way through this mob of folks over to a corner, and so I I did. I went over to the corner, and here on a little table was a box 
that you put your form into and they pulled out to call you. Oh well, no. How are you supposed to know that? You know? <laughs> Same as the cultural activities. You're just supposed to know. <laughs> Wow. And now maybe every newcomer has to go through the same thing where you're like totally baffled and then you finally figure it out. Sure. And then now it's like we put, put it in the box. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my goodness. So, but it's just that kind of it's just that kind of goofiness that Sure. What does Marque have that made you guys go, Oh, Sunny picked a good spot? You know, you explained why the heck it's right, not known right. to Americans, but Well, it's both Tuscany and Marche are in central Italy. So they would have a very similar geomorph, you know, morphic kind of appearance. Mountains on one side, mm -hmm. sea on the other, valleys in between. The big difference is Tuscany as a civilized part of the world has, has been more thoroughly inhabited and worked. I mean, mm. You know, the cities are more mature. There's more educational institutions. It's just more of kind of everything. There's more churches. There's grander churches. It's had more, and it had wealthy families like the Medicis and others that, that helped with that kind of stuff. Kind of looking at them, they're not all that different. It's just somewhat more rural. From our terrace alone, we can see probably 22 hill towns. Oh, man. And I would bet that most People have never heard of the names of those. They haven't been writ written up. When I lived in Seattle, I got to know Rick Steves. Uh, not that is a close friend, but acquaintance. Mm -hmm. I wondered why I'd, I hadn't read anything much from him about marketing. And so I, I wrote him a note and said, what's the deal? Do you not, do you not know this region? He said, oh yeah, I know it well. I'm just not writing about it. Yeah. Because he's seen what his writing does you know, with places like the Cinque Terre, which is now so trashed by tourism mm. that they've had to close the trails at times. And you know, the towns are not nice towns anymore. They're just like mobbed all the time. Horrible and, to live in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine. Um, I mean, that's pretty smart on his part. Right. But, right. But, but yet you also found the gym, right? That, that hasn't been exposed. It took work and we had to think about it a lot. Frankly, we were initially thinking Umbria. It's sort of Tuscany light. Mm -hmm. It's further inland in in the mountains. Uh, not as you know, Perugia is probably the most well known city in that. And I I love Perugia. I mean, I could I could probably live there. Mm -hmm. um, but but we thought, oh well, let's let's try. Let's see what's on the other side of the mountain. And that's another that's another theory that I have is that. Going down the middle of the peninsula is this spine of, of very formidable looking mountains that sort of like is the Italian Rocky Mountains. And so these are like sharp profiled snow capped mountains that look like you can't get through them. I mean, natural barrier, sort of. Yeah. And, okay. and you can get through them. There are mountain passes and tunnels and train routes and highways. And I mean, you can. It's there's just, a main train like that this, goes through. There's what? a main there's a main train line that goes there from Ancona through to Perugia, yeah. right? And then on right. to just, Rome or Florence or wherever. Yeah. yeah, I just took that. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's doable. It's just I think psychologically, people look at this long ra range of mountains and go, well, there can't be anything on the other side. What would be on the other side of that? Right. We spent time looking at a lot of towns that were very quiet, because um, just like other parts of Italy. Smaller towns have uh, become depopulated, partly because family sizes are smaller. I mean, just like all Western industrialized societies, they're no longer families that are seven or eight people, they're two or three. 
Yes. And so that's happened in the last few years, just as has happened with other countries. Young people have a particularly tough time finding good paying jobs. So they go to Germany or Austria or other countries, you know, try to start their lives there. It's an aging population. So people are starting to die off in their 90s. So it's just these towns have become like even this town at its peak was five or 6,000. There were two main commercial streets. So one of those is now dead. There's nothing happening on it. And the other one, there's enough people to support that street. It was relatively more active than many of the other towns we looked at. So it just took a while to see enough of that pattern where it just, well, we, we do need to have proximity to goods and services. So sure. in 2019, when I first started looking at Italy as a potential expat site, it actually followed a trip we had planned, everything, you know, settled, bought, etc. Uh -huh. So excited about it had to cancel. We were traveling with kids and she got pregnant when she's pregnant. There's mm. no nothing stays down and there's no yeah. wine. So what was the point we canceled. <laughs> but one of the things that we had decided we wanted to do was to find Marque because oh. it was uh -huh. unheard of. And it sounded like someplace we'd love to explore. It was quiet. It seemed like it would be a good place to take kids, etc. We canceled the trip. But I started looking at Italy as a potential expat site. And that's when I found you. And it seemed so strange. It was like the stars were aligning as I started conversing with you. All of a sudden, Marque started popping up in late 2019 oh, in no. all of these journals for travel, huh. the undiscovered. And it, it produced this little bit of panic inside of me like, oh, no, the world's going to find the secret and I'm not ready to go yet. Well, 2020 <laughs> happened. And I swear, right. since yep. 2020, I still see Marque on the tourist websites, but it's quieter again. Mm. Have you seen since you guys relocated, immigrated to Marque, have you seen, though not in your town, has the region changed? I mean, you have some major cities. You've got, um, maybe not majors, maybe not the word, but Ancona, Ascoli Piceno, um, Urbino. These are urban centers that I'm shocked that more people don't know about and, and just hop on the well, train to get every time to. we go to, yeah, right, right. Yeah. Every time we go to one of those cities, we, uh, we do see more tourists, more English speaking mm -hmm. tourists. Every, um, so it is gaining some recognition you know by people um, do you see an not... influx do you see a, an influx in immigrants well not yet not yet and there's there are other forces at work i mean I, the answer could be different a year from now but first of all nothing happened during covid two years zero zero doubt no visitors we didn't have any visitors we didn't we barely moved around i mean nothing happened the world stopped right right <laughs> and it was already quiet so it really, really got quiet yeah and so there wasn't any momentum to i mean there wasn't there were no organized groups there were no promotions there were no festivals there were no i mean frankly we were it was a sad time because yeah the reason the very reasons why we were attracted to this suddenly didn't exist except the community community did but you know a lot of the other lively things were not no longer around and of course you know you remember the era people were thinking oh this can't last longer than three months and then right. it was like oh six months from now it'll be over oh, oh next year it'll be over <laughs> and it just you just kind of gave up after a while like well how long is this going to go on yeah. so people couldn't even people couldn't even make plans like for this 
spectacle that I mentioned because they didn't know if they could do it. Could you even get a permit to have people come together, you know, or why would the actors take that risk or so, so people didn't even they didn't even anticipate being able to return to it because, you know, that'd be too frustrating. So it was just dead. It was just nothing happened. So that kind of took the wind out of maybe some of the some of the momentum. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mentioned the lack of organization. This is back step here. If you look at maps of Italy historically, when the Roman Empire fell uh, seven, between 500 and 800, it was a long, long falling period, but between 500 and 800, it was falling apart. The peninsula gradually accumulated a fractured kind of cultural setting where parts of it were occupied by Turkey or Spain or North African tribes. Uh, or France had part of it, Austro-Hungary had part of it. It was all, all chopped up into like this crazy quilt of little nation states, colonies, city states, dukies. Uh, I mean, it was just crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, all these independent, little independent states. While people might have said Italy, they were kind of the only thing, the only thing they could really mean is the peninsula. <laughs> I mean, there was no central government. I mean, there was a king of part of it couple of kingdoms for a while, but it was just, it was for centuries, for a, for a thousand years, it was just fragmented into all these small, I mean, the size of counties in the U.S. And each one had their own dialect because they came from a different culture and they still have that same dialect. Yeah. So, and then there's 200 dialects in Peninsula. I mean, it still reflects the, this very fractured, fragmented, separate kind of the culture within the larger country. And this is one of those, and you can even break it down further. There's Northern Marque, which is by Urbino. There's Southern Marque, which is by Ascoli Piceno. There's our central part, which is centered around Ancona and you know, a few other cities. And each of those is a little different. It's, it's, a, it's not a unified presentation, I guess. You know, you have to, you, you can go just a few kilometers and suddenly things are different. The language might be different. The food might be different. Customs might be different. It's just you're constantly adapting and adjusting to all of these nuances of the subtle shifts of things. Which and must so, have made it very difficult for you guys to know. Well, not difficult, but it must have taken some work to sift through those oh, areas. Yeah. Because honestly, even just for upcoming trip planning, it's hard for me to choose. Where do I also I am, am quite interested in Umbria. So it's like how how do I begin to choose? Do I want to be in the Urbino area? Do I want to be closer to um, the Adriatic where maybe transportation would be a little easier north and south? Do I want to go inland or do I want to be south? Well, I would say Ascoli? what you might want to do. I mean, it's we developed a, a list of 15 criteria. I mean, I'm just this is our method, you know. You know. Mm -hmm. There were five or six that were absolutely musts. And some of them had to do with just practicalities of life. If, if I'm aging and I'm like 76 now, Mm -hmm. You have to fast forward, you know, it's it, in the U.S., if you have a chains of life, you have the sense that you could sell your house, take the equity and move to a place that works for you. Yep. You can't do that here. The real estate market is completely sluggish. You're not going to make money off the house. If anything, you might lose money. You're not going to flip a house. It's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Houses stay on the market for years unsold. So you better do the work that finds the place that works for you because you're not going to be able to change your mind once you're 
I mean, some people do it. The lesson is you better take the time to really find the place that works for you. Sure. You're not going to get that money back out easily to to translate (laughs) to your long-term care plan. Right, right. So make it happen right at the outset. Now, the frustrating thing is we encountered the same stuff. What if we just, shouldn't we just keep on going and look? We got to a point where virtually all of the criteria were met and we just said, stop, just full stop. (laughs) Yes, we could probably look in Abruzzo and find something there, but why, why make ourselves crazy? We found it. We, we got close to 100% of the criteria. Mm-hmm. Let's just stop. You, you could look forever. We had five or six must, four or five nice to have, and then another handful of kind of bonus features. And then our, that's where our agent stepped in and helped us meet most of those. And then she found this place that had a couple more that we hadn't even thought of. If you try to find the perfect place, you probably just make yourself crazy. Get as close as possible and just enjoy it. <laughs> Yes. And having that list of criteria, that's so important. Know thyself, right? I mean, what are the things that you absolutely cannot do without and be realistic and remember things like aging, things like financial limitations, um, family visiting. Yeah. And and, yeah, that was another thing. So we wanted a house big enough that if somebody visited, they wouldn't, we wouldn't feel like we were on top of each other. So you know, that was, that was one of the criteria. And we, for a while, we toyed with the idea of a bed and breakfast thing. And it's just like, we tried it sort of in, it was too much work. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I'm supposed to be retired now. I'm making beds. <laughs> not, not a good idea. So it's useful to do that exercise and look at it again from time to time. And, and you can do some of it online. I mean, you can, and you can research towns. And mm-hmm. you can do the Google walk through the town and see what shops are there. And yeah, I mean, there's stuff you can do remotely. Google walk but, is an actual really fun way when you're stuck on another continent to be able right. to actually walk through and see what a, what a town might look yeah. like. Your region has some specific natural events that can occur, which might also come into play in terms of choosing where to live. Now, you guys are actually in a town. Santa Vittoria and Matanano. Thank you. It's the name of the hill that it sits on. Gotcha. Okay. That particular town was hit with seismic um, activity and qualifies for the 7%. You mean earthquake? Yes, yes, earthquake. Oh, yeah. It it actually is one of the designated 7% flat tax towns in the area. So these kinds of things, we're talking fire, flood, earthquake, um, wind concerns, those kinds of things must also come into play when you're building your list. What was your situation like when you looked at Marque, north to south, east to west? Was that a part of your determination? I know weather was, but what about these other natural kinds of occurrences that could? I grew up in California and we lived in Seattle and it's right on the fault line. I mean, you know, they're just waiting to happen. So, I mean, you can be afraid of your whole life. And we, I've been through several earthquakes in my lifetime. Okay, so they were bad not good and buildings fell down. And, and in fact, uh, 50 feet or a hundred feet from here, um, a house totally fell to the ground, a pile of rubble. Wow. Now it probably had no reinforcing in it at all. It was just stacks of bricks. Okay. And this house is anchored into the city wall, which goes down a hundred feet into the ground. And so it's it's got a, a counterweight. I mean, I sleep through earthquakes now. I mean, I don't even feel them. I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't do anything. Sunny, um, Sunny notices them sometimes and wake her up. But there's literally hundreds of earthquakes a year. So okay. I mean, you just occasionally one gets above six, 
And that's when it causes a problem. And back in 2016, there were two, six months apart, they ruined several towns. Didn't ruin this one, maybe ruined a dozen buildings in it, and they're all being repaired now. Every place is risky to some extent, whether it's tornadoes in the Midwest or floods and, you know, and and so it's, I mean, there's almost no way of getting away from some natural aspect, but I guess that was not a big criterion was staying away from all of those. I like hearing that. I like hearing that because to me, there's a realistic evaluation there. And you as an architect absolutely knew your comfort level with a building that you would buy and those around you, because let's face it, if your town falls flat, it also (laughs) impacts you, even if your house is left standing, correct? Um, The heartbreak there. But I see on sites that attitude of, I would never live in a seismic area. I would never, you know, I would never buy in one of those towns. And I wonder about the same thing that you just said. I mean, I lived in New Orleans and absolutely weather is going to impact your life there. But we built an infrastructure around the city that would hopefully protect us from some of that. Every place has fire, flood, tornadoes, whatever might happen, whether you know it might be a risk or not. So I like that you weighed those things and actually chose a place to live reasonably without letting fear be, you know, the the absolute yay or nay. If somebody had an absolute fear of earthquakes, they wouldn't even choose. Italy wouldn't be on the list. (laughs) Nor would California, Oregon. Because they're everywhere. uh, Washington. Not just just the mountainous towns. Yeah, yeah. You would would pick some other country. Nobody knows where that stuff is going to happen. Right. There's no predictability to that. Yeah. And so um, choose the place you, know, you love. Choose the yeah, place you right. love. Yep. Yeah. And yep. so, I mean, you can be smart about it. There are some towns that I would not choose because they were devastated enough that it's going to be a long time before they come back with much sure. of anything. Yeah. And so don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but there are hundreds of others. We read or see movies basically about Tuscany and Rome you know, the romantic movies of the, that there's kind of an arc that goes from Venice over to Milan, over to Pisa, to Florence and down to Rome, and then eventually to Naples. It's kind of this big arc. And so all of our thinking about Italy, it's almost like that's Italy, period. That's, that is Italy, just that. And there are hundreds and hundreds of perfectly livable towns elsewhere in the country. I mean, beautiful, wonderful towns in beautiful landscapes and settings that are convenient to services, that have history, that have culture, that have arts, that have entertainment, that have, it is not a remote third world country. I mean, the common question is, what do I need to bring? Like, this is not a third world. There's not one thing that we haven't found here, except maybe an obscure Mexican spice. Okay. But I mean, it's, but it's got all the same supplies that any, any other modern country has. So Sonny ribs me all the time about this. Okay, I like chunky peanut butter. You can't buy chunky peanut butter here. So I have it smuggled in, <laughs> you know, that's me. I want to have my chunk. <laughs> sure, sure. There are those little comforts that we can't do without, right? <laughs> Tell me a little bit about healthcare in the Marque region, not oh, necessarily yeah. just okay. uh, San Vittorio, oh, yeah. but also. Well, the there's a bunch of myths, some of which are pretty evil in their origin, I think, you know, because there's been so much um, nonsense about national health care that it's some kind of a, it has to, you know, be a socialist system and it's, you you can't pick your doctor and all this garbage that's stated. 99% of it is flat out untrue. It is not true. We picked our doctor immediately and, and it's a village doctor and we, we like her. It's like, she's 50, 50 feet away, her office. 
And there's no, no debate about that. We found the doctor we wanted. We don't have any healthcare bills. We both used hospitals, three hospitals in the region. And so we've experienced that because we, we each had, not a, I wouldn't call it catastrophic, but an emer- it, would be, it would be called an emergency. And all emergency care in Italy is free to anyone, even tourists. And that includes the ambulance service and anything attached to it. The drugs, whatever that you need is zero cost. I mean, I was shocked when there's nobody that comes by with a clipboard. <laughs> well, what's your insurance company? You know, Where doesn't can we happen. find you for the surprise so, bill? <laughs> so what funds that? It's like, how do they, how do they make that happen? Income tax. You can decide, is that worth it or not? I mean, if you have any affliction, you get help immediately without question. Nobody questioning that you're going to get help. That's amazing. And so it's viewed as a basic human right that should be funded by everybody. And yeah. it's should your level of care should not depend upon your wealth. Now, you can get a higher level of care if you want. I've, I've got a private cardiologist. You pay a, a bit extra out of your own pocket. It's not part of the health care package that you get. I've used lots of medical services over my life in, in the U.S. And I would say this is significantly above all of them. All of them, every single one, even some of the better hospitals. Even without the private. Yes, even without the private. Now, what what you have to do is look at what's going on. In the U.S., a lot of the money spent in hospitals is spent on decor and amenities and the restaurants and the public spaces and the artwork and the, not that that's wrong. So the hospitals here just, they emphasize the service and the people giving you the service not the ambience. And so some of them are very plain, but I mean, are you there for the reason? It's no. not a result. <laughs> the other, another major difference in the systems that a lot of people don't realize in America is top salaries. When I was in, I was oh, in yeah. RN and I worked for one part of my career in a system that had hospitals and then of course outpatient services that fed the hospitals. Our CEO at that time, and this is 15, 15 years ago, maybe our CEO at that time made $21 million. I don't think wow. you have that happening in, no, in no, Italian no, healthcare, not. in the strata right. of, of right. Um, hierarchy right. of uh, paychecks. So I think that's another huge difference in how money is spent in healthcare. Yeah. When you hear the term national healthcare, you lock in on national as if it's a big monolithic super agency that's dictating things to everybody. What? It's actually not that at all. It's, it's again, the Italian system of disorganization. The national health system collects the money from everybody through their taxes, but it's distributed and administered locally. Hmm. So every province has its own health agency. You're not dealing with a national agency. You're dealing with basically a group of doctors that administer locally these services. This is part of the thing of they want to see you be independent. The first year you have to have your own insurance. Fair, fair enough. I think that's appropriate. At the end of that first year, you can sign up for the for the national at your local provincial office. And as a foreigner, you pay a modest yearly amount, which is based on, it's a sliding scale based on your income. And in our case, about 800 for each of us for a year. Well, that's compared with the U.S., that's Really it's not even worth a discussion um, in comparison to the right. cost of healthcare. And you, and no, seriously though, Medicare right. or or otherwise, or or private health insurance while you're working. Yeah, you know, you do have to deal with the people locally, 
which is, you know, they're right near down the road, so to speak. But because of the, again, the lack of organization, sometimes they're not there. They're in another <laughs> office. Yeah, they didn't tell somebody that. And so you've made a wasted trip if you needed to go or something. I mean, they, there's a new form that you have to fill out or something, you know, just, mm -hmm. just happened. You know, it's not, it's never horrible. It's just stuff happens. So you just have to, you just have to roll with it. But I mean, the, the other thing that people overlook in this whole health thing is, is prescription drugs, mm -hmm. because uh, rarely have we ever paid more than five euros for any drug. Wow. And I remember paying hundreds for some drugs. Yeah. I mean, and these are, these are the same drugs. They're the same brands. Okay. So who's keeping the difference is what I'd <laughs> like to know. The other shocking thing was when, one of the times when I was in for an emergency service, the doctor, after getting getting my treatment, said, well, would you like to stay in the hospital so we can observe you? And my first reaction was, oh, how much is that going to cost? You know? oh. like, well, I've, I've been in hospitals, you, you see the bill, oh, you know, yeah. for just a few days. And it's like thousands, you know, tens of thousands. Tens you know? of thousands, yeah. yeah. And so I, I said something like, well, is that an extra charge? <laughs> he said, no, it's however long you need. You know? Oh, wow. <laughs> you can stay. <laughs> it's just all of these things just take such a, a, a mental readjustment of like, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, it was just, here's a funny story. Here's, it's just, again, a cultural difference that just the goofy little, I was getting treated for that first problem in their treatment room. And it was kind of a shared treatment room, a tra I don't know what you call it. Maybe three patients that are on gurneys and you're, they're checking you out and they've got equipment around you and taking your vital signs and all that you know it's kind of an open area and the doctor said she needed a urine sample so she gives me this cup and being an american the first thing i do is i scan this treatment room for a restroom you know because that's what we do right we go into yeah. this little tiny and put the thing in the and there wasn't one I was like, where do i go she said no here <laughs> i tell your new friends <laughs> okay <laughs> That um, one of the biggest significant differences, and not just in Italy's healthcare, but Europe, is that you will share a room. Yes. Um, if you right, need, right. you know, ice, clothing, etc., your family is expected to help with that. I know that there are some folks who can get extra help by people, maybe like Badantes or neighbors, yeah, yeah. Or, or something right, like right. that, to be able to accomplish that. But it's a totally different kind of system. Yeah. You're not expecting service when you push a button. You're actually right. going to expect to get some help from others who are not a part of the system. And that's got to be a whole <laughs> different thing. Well, the other surprise was I have all my life since childhood been freaked out by dentists. It just make me crazy. The whole idea of having stuff happening in your mouth is, is always just terrified me. The unfortunate result of that is then I delay treatment, you know, delay the regular stuff that you're supposed to do. By the time we moved here and settled in, it was several years and I guess I better see a dentist, you know, I don't want to, I think it's probably a good idea, you know, because I hadn't been checked out for several years. And so we found a dentist that was recommended. He said, well, I, I need to do a deep cleaning. Oh, I know what that means. You know, it's like, it's like drills and it's like scraping and it's like, you know, just torture of the mouth. You know, it's got all these tools out that I don't even recognize. I mean, it's like all these electronic tools. And it's like, I don't even know what this is. What are you about to do? You know? And he gives me a local. Okay. Yeah. And this is, that, this is a funny thing. You know, somebody needs to explain this. When, when you go to American dentists, they whip out that four inch long needle. What is that all about? 
where mm-hmm. it's like this jabbed into your, he brings out this little thing that's a tiny little gun with a needle about this long and just goes snick. Like a quarter inch little deal. And that was yeah. it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I mean, and it's a total local and it was just, I barely felt it, you know, and if we have such an advanced system in the U.S., why are people doing that rather than the four inch that you just see it coming and you're shaking right (laughs) so so then he goes well um, now that you you know you're settling into getting numb you know i'll start my work i thought he was prepping me you know there's all this stuff that they check out things and they're fooling around five minutes goes by and he's like working at stuff and he's got an assistant that's with the water and all that he says we're done and i went wait a minute you mean you're done prepping he said no we're, we're totally done you're, you're clean. You're, you, I cleaned your teeth. He has this state-of-the-art ultrasonic tool that just did it. It's like, I didn't even know what he was doing it. <laughs> and it's notable that you came from a major U.S. city where you were receiving dental care, right? So, yeah, yeah. It's not like you were in the sticks. He did it out of his house. Okay, so there's one thing. There's no, no office rent. He had one assistant, not an array of hygienists and bookkeepers that get you up for the money and all of one assistant. Wow. I laughed and he said this, you will have no pain. I can, I can assure you, you will have no pain. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, another thing that he doesn't have is probably personal or, you know, dental liability, which means he doesn't have that overhead, which means that's not trend. Yeah. You should ask him that next time, but very low overhead, but still state of the art. And so he also explained, he said, you know, the government buys us our equipment. They want us to be the best. We want us to have the best stuff. Wow. You <laughs> hit it. You hit it good. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, kind of like, like going to the top because he has a view of the sea, you know, you know it's a, it's a <laughs> and no large but, needles. It's <laughs> <laughs> good. Those are just amazing stories that just happened over and over again. Oh, and, my and goodness. There were some new healthcare facilities that are coming in. There's some change happening in Marque um, medically. And that was interesting to me. Well, you have to, again, backtrack a little bit here that Italy was one of the initial joiners to the uh, European Union. It was, frankly, a country in a mess for decades. It was kind of international joke. Everybody still kind of thinks that Italy's just a confusing mess. And there's enough <laughs> to still, you know, be true. But it's not <laughs> it's not riddled with crime. The mafia does not control everything. We've never even seen any presence of I mean, maybe they're still in Sicily. I don't know. I know it's not a part of Italy that I go to. I love that clarification, but, Mark. That's helpful. It's not a high crime I mean People leave their doors unlocked, their cars unlocked. It's not it's not a mess in, in those respects. So it started to clean itself up by going after the mafia, by going after gangs, by straightening up the banking system that was engaged in money laundering, of making sharper immigration laws, of passing um, health codes, building codes. Of, I mean, they, they did do things that the EU said you need to do. You need to be a modern industrial Western democracy. Get with it. And it did the stuff. So it's now reaping the rewards of that because several years ago, it received a $40, $40 billion grant from the EU to do infrastructure improvements, including hospitals. In this region alone, there are three new hospitals under construction, big gargantuan hospitals, state-of-the-art hospitals, and all sorts of other services that are coming out of that. Do you know what cities or areas specifically are getting those three state-of-the-art hospitals? Thermo, Amandala, and Ascoli Pacino. 
Okay. And we used all three of those hospitals. Okay. You, you allocate the money, then it has to be designed, it has to mm -hmm. be permitted, you know, all this, the steps that then bid it. So there's always a two or three year lag time. So the money was allocated two or three years ago, and now you're seeing results. It was also to fund road improvements, sidewalk improvements, school improvements, and shared community facilities. So we are seeing projects every time we go out now. Wow. We, are, we are seeing new sidewalks built, new streets built, um, streets rebuilt, um, street lighting going in that's LED. We're seeing churches being restored, private buildings being restored, piazzas being redone. This one in town is going to get redone shortly. Hmm. I mean, just every direction to go, there are cranes. We just got a crane. I, mean, I don't think this town has ever seen a crane hmm. in its life. And we have got now in the center of town this huge construction crane. There's this incredibly sudden influx or in beginning of all this reconstruction. And then piled onto that was earthquake funds because Italy was hit so hard in 2016 that another pot was specifically aimed at retrofitting towns. What it means is it going to each of these buildings and reinforcing them is what sure. it is. The, the reason why they got ruined was they were never reinforced construction and now they're getting reinforced. So, so in other words, maybe the earthquakes were big and damage was done and it was a horrific time. But part of the reason there was so much damage was just because those buildings never were right, updated yeah. to current earthquake standards where you see that happening in those towns, to me, that actually opens up new possibility for living in those areas for people that are- yeah, yeah, Absolutely, they're safer, they're safer than they ever were, but it's it's kind of a whole side story. I'm, I'm writing an article about it now and I, I haven't got my hand around it totally yet, but it's interesting with all these cultural things to adjust to that we're also seeing this other thread of massive reconstruction out in the public. Italy just got another big allocation that, you know, I mentioned 40, 40 billion mm -hmm. and maybe another 20 for the earthquake. Did you this say 40 billion is, with a B? Yes, flies to the whole country, which is mm -hmm. this one that just was approved. It's 200 billion. Wow. <laughs> and we haven't even seen any of that happen yet because it's too new. Wow. They're rapidly rebuilding everything about them. You sure. know, we're seeing train stations being rebuilt to include handicapped and they're raising the platforms so that they we can walk right in the train and not have to step up. The elevators are being installed, you know. The, when you think about it, how do you take a country that goes back thousands of years and make it contemporary? The amount of Without effort. ruining it. Without ruining yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. right. I mean, the, like the sidewalks, that are, there was just one put in here that allows school children to walk to school without being in the, in the road. This is a six-foot-wide sidewalk out of granite. Oh, my goodness like the Romans used to do, <laughs> it lasted thousands of years. Nobody builds sidewalks in the U.S. out of granite. No. You know, <laughs> but we do build them again out of concrete, <laughs> right? right? Or asphalt, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. and, and while they're doing that, they're putting in trees and putting in safe lighting, LED lighting and guardrails because it's a hilly place. You know, they're doing other things that make it a safe, comfortable, environment. This is a new a new thing that we've just seen in the last six months. It's just suddenly ramped up. We can't go anywhere now without encountering roads being closed and buildings being cocooned and, you know, just every direction we go. Sure. That's the cost of progressiveness there, huh? Right. But, I mean, in contrast to some other EU countries which weren't making the other changes, Italy has, it is starting to organize. That's awesome. It was an organized society under Roman rule. It 
fell apart, stayed fell falling apart for a thousand years, and now it's like coming back together, perhaps. <laughs> this was not to be too unkind, but for years, this or decades even, this part of country was almost like what we think of as West Virginia, you know, just sort of backwards and rural and kind of hick town and People made jokes about it even, and you know, like, oh, who would want to live there, you know? But uh, I do want to say something uh, yeah. about the uh, affordability. Just you said that was one of your themes. Yeah. You know, the a very common question that's posted is how much does it cost to live in Italy? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I don't want to make fun of anybody, but would you ask that question about the U.S.? How much does it cost to live in the U.S.? It depends on where you are. I mean, yeah. why doesn't everybody know that? <laughs> why would that be one figure? for any country. I mean, right. it depends on the location you choose. Absolutely. This is no different. And the regions vary hugely. There's a wonderful statistical agency called ISTAP, which stands for Italy Statistics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they generated a map and between the lowest cost region and the highest cost region, it's 100%. Oh, wow. I mean, that much difference. Wow. So, so you, you have to look very specifically. There is not one figure that works. Right. And sometimes it's even, it differs by adjacent regions. I mean. Well, look at your journey from, you know, the discussion about Tuscany to yes, just right. over the mountains, you have Marque, which is more affordable, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And, and more, even more so than here would be Abruzzo, which is the region to the south. Mm -hmm. even less known yes. if that's possible. <laughs> but on the rise, on the rise. Again, yes, right, another right, area right. where we're seeing in articles all the time. Puglia yeah. as well. Yeah. And Puglia, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Puglia may be a victim of its own success. I've been hearing from people that house prices are now getting unreasonable and tourists are flocking, you know, crowding all the beaches and restaurants and all that. It is becoming, in some of the areas, it is actually becoming an attractive area for the high income people. Mm -hmm. So their right. high, their high level housing is, is drastically increasing, but maybe not so much from what I've seen in, and this is just one woman's uh, opinion, yeah. um, it, the, the average or lower end of the housing market, but definitely there's been a huge influx of big money to Puglia. Mm -hmm. Do you see anything like that happening happening in any of the in um, cities or regions? Not that of I'm aware of. I suppose it's possible, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. I haven't read anything of it, or I, nobody's mentioned that. I mean, the further north you get, up toward Urbino, it's closer to Bologna, mm -hmm. and that's basically a big. You know, that's another big city, and so there probably are higher prices up there in that end of the region. Uh, I, we don't go up there that much, so I don't I get. I don't necessarily have a feel for things. Um, There's certainly a huge difference in pricing in just in looking at Gateway and Idealista and looking at hilltop towns, um, rural houses outside of hilltop towns, and then looking at Ascoli-Piceno and the coastal areas. There's a ginormous difference in pricing there, as there would be anywhere. You know, the closer yeah. you get to an oceanfront type area, of course, prices go higher. Yeah. The bigger the right. city, the higher the prices. But I still found in looking at all of those areas, there were still affordable options. Oh, yeah, sure. Well, and then it comes down to a different set of factors. It's like, how old is the building? 
how small are the units? Are they on a busy road or not a busy road? Or, I mean, there's other little things that they begin to, sure, or sure. do they need a lot of work or, you know, that. Right, right. Uh, and utilities is another interesting thing. And it's interesting to hear about the money infusion from the EU. Right. And I'm wondering, is there relief on the horizon for that? What's it like there for you guys? Uh, that is a sore point of household discussion because every <laughs> time we get a bill, it's another step higher. I don't, I don't foresee that that will change downward significantly. It might, it might stabilize and not be as regular an increase, but that war is going to go on for a while. If Putin isn't turning off the tap, we're turning off the tap, just trying to support Ukraine. It's a bad situation. I mean, this country does not have a significant amount of hydropower like the U.S. has. Okay. Um, so it depends on other sources. It can go to other sources in the world, but that takes some time to get those deals underway and all that. And liter the literally the infrastructure for those. I understand that there is a, a plan. I think it's a pipeline that's coming in from the east somewhere. Well, it could in be. I, I, I guess I have heard that. Uh, yeah, from the Middle East. Or something. Yeah, but it'll, it'll take years to build oh, that, yeah, literally. Yeah, exactly. But there are things in the meantime that you can do, like we decided not to install air conditioning because that would be an, an added, that would bump it up again. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting here with this little water thing, you know, which costs, you know, 80 euros. You know, I think we that. talked about that before we started taping. The fan blows through the water and cools the space in the room. So mm -hmm. Specifically where you're at. So it's a good use yeah. of that energy yeah. instead of so, cooling empty rooms. We're just trying to use less power. I mean, just conserving. Like right now, gas is a little more favorable than electricity. So, you know, we've got a gas range, so we make a lot of things on the gas range. And in the in the winter, we do what Italians do, which is you wear a scarf inside. It's not a big problem to do that. You know, we're just used to walking around in our underwear all winter long. <laughs> <laughs> and we expect it to be 72 degrees and no, you can survive in 68 yeah. or 65, yeah. right? Yeah. So yeah. there is like things you can do to make it better. It still is a shock to see those bills. I, uh, my prediction is that in this 200 billion block of money, there's a, a section of it that deals with energy efficiency. Hmm. And I think that the government will see some programs come out that will help it's not like you're going to get cash check, but you might get help in adding insulation to your house or putting in a more uh, fuel efficient heating system or Love that. that kind of rewiring the house or any, any number of things. And Long term fixes. We had a taste of that. The 40 billion that I mentioned, the smaller amount that came out two years ago, did also have an energy efficiency piece in it. But even though 40 billion sounds like a lot, when you spread it over a whole country with 60 million people in it, it isn't really that much. So they, they took a chunk out of that 40 billion and applied it to energy efficiency. And what they did, we took advantage of this. We jumped right on it because we saw that it was maybe going to be a, a tight window. Mm -hmm. They uh, encouraged people to buy electric vehicles. Oh, that's right. I forgot you and Sunny did that. Yeah. And so we got an outright grant of 10000 Awesome. <laughs> and then Renault had its own program, which was 6000 to get customers to walk in the door. Mm -hmm. And so it cut the price in half. Wow. The vehicle. We have not been into a gas station in two years. And people, the first question, well, uh, what about the charge stations? Like, well, it's going to take like two hours to charge. 
No, that is all just BS. Mm -hmm. Total BS. We just go to lunch, plug in. During the lunch, it's fully charged. Stop that nonsense. It is not inconvenient. We've got apps that show where every single charge point is in, in driving distance, if it's available, what its cost is, and we just pick the one that's the most convenient. And it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. It, there's just so much stupid mythology about that that is constantly online, and it's just wrong. 90% of it's just flat out wrong stuff. Think about the five years ago, not true now. Yeah. And think about so, the savings that you have made in the last two years. I mean, talk about uh, good timing, Mark. That was excellent timing. Well, the other thing that makes me crazy about people trying to always save on taxes is that, and this is, again, sounds a little mean spirited, but you want to come to a country where the cost of living is half or less. In most parts of Italy, once you, once you leave the big cities, the cost of living is 30 to 50% of what it is in the U.S. Okay. Not not off. I'm talking about of. I mean, it's only 30 to 50 percent of. Love it. So already you were getting a huge hit. You have free, absolutely virtually free health care. And Italy doesn't levy property taxes on your primary home. Huge hit. I mean, you know, that could be thousands right there. So now you also don't want to pay income tax. I mean, you've already got more than you're getting more than what most people have. You're getting benefits, solid benefits. So it, people should have no problem paying taxes. We always look for, you know, everybody looks for ways of saving on that. You know, mm -hmm. sure. it taxes wealth, taxes monetary wealth. That's its philosophy. It's called the progressive tax system. It means the more wealth you have, the more you're going to get taxed higher. And, and people don't understand the stair-stepping that happens mathematically yeah, yeah. Right. with that. Pete and I are not right. big um, income earners. Um, when we have both pulled our passive income, we will still not be big income yeah. earners. Yeah, we'll qualify. But we have we have back of the envelope, as Mary likes to say, we have back of the envelope calculated our taxes within that stair stepping or ladder. Right, right, right. Yep. And when we consider those projected Italian taxes plus plus what we won't pay in property tax and the lower cost of health insurance, comparing that to what we would pay in property taxes for the same amount of house in the United States plus what we know yeah. we'll pay in health care. Um, even you know, yeah. so many people don't understand Medicare costs. Yeah, right. So that plus tax strata in the United States, because we also have a progressive tax strata, which yeah. most people don't recognize. There's not much difference. And that's at the full tax schedule, um, meaning not a 7% or 5% yeah. substitutive right. tax. Right. That's yeah. the regular tax strata. We are probably a couple thousand dollars more a year in Italy than we would be in the US. Now, again, this is back of the envelope, just Pete and I doing it. Um, so obviously not accurate. And people would need to talk to a, a tax professional to hammer that out. But it gave us a real idea that we can have a very rich life in Italy on about the same. But the big right. difference is that what people don't count is the cost of the house or rent yes, right. will make the total yeah. difference. Right. I mean, it's Right? For what yeah. I could have in a region that, like yours, that is close to mountains, close to the ocean, has incredible cultural depth. Um, the food, let's face it, it's got it all. For what it would cost us to buy a house in a region like that in the U.S., it's not even a discussion. We, yeah, yeah, right. We're not going right, to be able to right. do that. Whereas there, not only would we be able to buy a house, we'll put some of our housing money back into savings 
if they calculate carefully, they'll look at the fact that what they'll save by investing that money, they can actually come out ahead. I mean, it, it's absolutely true. Right. That there are places exactly. and ways to live in Italy that are affordable, and it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be with a substitutive tax. You know, I'm a proponent of the 7% tax thing if it, if it works out for somebody, mm -hmm. if it doesn't, great. But I'm with you in that I believe taxes should be paid. If yeah. somebody can't come to Italy because they can't afford the regular tax strata, but they can do it at 7%, do it at 7%. Yeah, yeah it's legal. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. not illegal. Yeah, yeah. But, but it is one road yeah. that people can yeah. take to Italy. But I think they need to not be so afraid of taxes overall. Yeah. I do think the that- The one thing, of, this is also true of, uh, you know, another popular, popular scheme in magazine, travel magazines is the one year a house, you know, far okay. south, with little, mm -hmm. little towns that are so depopulated, you know, they're, they're way beyond redemption almost. Aww. So they've gotten desperate with those things. But you know, it's the, the adage is there's no such thing as a free lunch. There is no, you are not going to buy a house for one euro and walk in the door. That, oh. Sorry, that, that is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just stop that, not, that is garbage. I and, think there you know, have just, been, there have been yeah. some success stories, but yeah, by yeah, and large, like, not right. the majority of the stories at all. And some of them are still suffering. Just all the the little things that were attached to those one euro house agreements. Some of them yeah, are still kind right. of stuck. Well, I know. Yeah, I wouldn't even bother with it, frankly. And and there's a there's a great uh, couple of YouTube videos by remember her name, but she, you can find them. They almost pop up at the top. Is a realtor developer American, I think, or British. It's called the, the myths of the one-year-old house. It'll take you forever to redo that house. <laughs> yeah, and, and from afar, let somebody renovate the house and not be nearby. Yeah, from I mean, afar, that's a real dangerous deal. Yeah. But people do do it. But that that yeah. is that's gutsy. Your point about the house itself as a house with where it is, the view, surroundings, the ambiance, the, the patina, the character of it. I mean, that was where, you know, I said our agent added a couple of more in that we hadn't thought of. We never even put on the list of view. You never, oh. I mean, if you want view property in the US, you, you, I mean, you have to be a millionaire if you want. Just don't even think about that. Don't mm -hmm. even, I mean, that isn't just not, don't put it on the list. <laughs> So we have a 180 degree panoramic view of the sea. We didn't ask for that, but where, where we landed gave us that. This is the biggest house I've ever lived in in my life by a good measure. And it's also the least expensive house I've ever owned. That's incredible. That's incredible. And, so that's what I'm saying. Italy can be affordable. You just yeah, need to right. be really careful how you're doing it. And it probably won't happen in Rome, Venice, uh, right, exactly. you know, et cetera. I would say if as soon as somebody locks in on Tuscany, then it's over. You're, you're, you're pro none of the saving, none of the affordability is going to apply. So if, if you've got the money to do it, and there are people that do, I mean, sure. I've talked to them online, they have smart investments and they have all sorts of income streams in there. But, you know, there's a lot of, there's so much mythology out, out there about, you know, wouldn't it be great to go to Italy and run a vineyard? <laughs> well, okay, so how are you going to do that? And which first visa? All, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. You have to first get a visa to do it. It's like they, they lock in on this one thing that sounds appealing and don't realize there's 25 other things you have to do first. Yeah. I, will, I will say though, that for me, the thing that actually made me look at Italy like what? 
I could live there was a one euro house um, scheme that came out. I looked at that. I sent it to my girlfriend and she said she sent it to her daughter. Yep. And her daughter said, drop the gavel. And that was it from that day forward. That was in either late 2018 or early 2019. I started looking tentatively and, you know, you grow. You grow with the process. Nancy yeah, yeah, Hampton's right. blog, Nancy Goes to Italy, was a huge catalyst for me when I oh, got yeah. actually serious about thinking, could I really do this or is this just playtime? Yes. I went back to the very first post she'd ever made and I read all the way forward. It took me two weeks yeah. in the middle of the night, emailed her <laughs> afterwards and said, I just did this. And she said, I don't think anyone has ever done that. But it, <laughs> Shock. it yeah, yeah, it became my roadmap for. Yeah, she's a good person and we can her notes all the time. Yeah, but it, yeah. I had to have yeah. that initial hook of the one euro house to make me look and think because who on earth would ever have thought that Italy could be affordable? You know, all I knew were the tourist places and the, you know, the picture of Milan with, you know, expensive cars, expensive clothes, expensive lifestyle, yes, yes. Como right. and, and the Clooney's, you know what I mean? That seems so, <laughs> yeah, so I needed that hook, but I grew with the process. Yeah. And oh, so yeah. here I am today, calculating, talking to my yeah, financial right. advisor and, and waiting. We're in a waiting pattern until we have enough passive income when both of us have pulled social, social security to meet that minimum requirement. Yes. Cause we want to, yes. we would love to do it in one slam dunk. We'll go back again and try again if we fail on the ERV the first time, but I needed that hook to get me looking. and. It was honestly, I have to admit, the one year scheme. I wanted to drop the gavel with my friend. Just the action or the, the process of going through the research, having another dream, um, moving forward into a new chapter of life. I think that helps the mind. Both my parents have dementia. And yes. frankly, I saw even in my early 50s, I started to feel some softening. I just wasn't oh, as I sharp know. as I was, you know? Yep. And, yep. and it's a reality that this could this could be me, but what can I do? There are very few things that you can actually do. I need to do more of the exercise. I need to probably dial in the eating even a little bit better still, but you can keep learning and you can connect with people. That alone is probably going to be worthwhile. Oh yeah. In ways too. You know, I mean, just I'm, the process I'm, is healthy. I'm glad you brought that up because that's another intangible factor that people don't think about. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with money and nothing to do with taxes. You're helping your own your own self live longer and live healthier because it's better food. You know, the Mediterranean diet has been long recognized because of olive oil and the other ingredients as being a better diet. Yeah. And learning a language is say is one of the ways you can stave off that. It it requires your brain to be active all the time. And being social is another, I mean, that's the, this is going way off on a tangent, but you know, one of our tragedies in the U.S. is we warehouse older people off by themselves yeah. in these retirement centers. And here people just live in their homes until they pass away and they have their families visit and they have their friends visit and they hang out in the, in the concerts and the public spaces and, and enjoy life. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not a shameful thing to be old. Oh well put Old that, and less firm yeah and and so with that not only do we deprive and, and them we, we deprive us and our children of yeah, touching the right, aging right. process so here we are plastic yeah. in this country because everyone's terrified of aging partly because yeah. we don't touch it and we have now yeah. at least a full generation of people who don't touch it one of the other bits of humility that i've acquired is interacting with far more aged people than i've ever in my life done and on a daily basis and and you know it's kind of cool <laughs> I and mean, they're they're nice people they're kind people yeah. they're 
respectful. They're, they, they ask good questions. You know, they're, they're going about their daily lives and it's, it's, it's sweet and just, you know, life affirming, I guess. And yeah. so several of our neighbors are in that, they're the, the nonas of the neighborhood. And we see them just today. They were out with their grandkids out sitting on our, the ledge of our garden. Sonny had me cut off some uh, rosemary, uh, rosemary and sage to give to the Nona. And mm -hmm. so there was great you know, little interaction there. And she was talking to him from her window. <laughs> adopting all of these. <laughs> That's just yeah, all so, that urban, urban centralization yeah. that you that you right. wrote about and, and that your career is about, too. It's not big urban, but it is urban. It's all the, the same concepts oh, yeah. that you right, were working right. for in Seattle. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. I mean, I'm glad you pointed it out because it's, it's nice to finally live in the ideal. It isn't unreal. It is real. <laughs> you know, all of the really good life affirming things of life can happen. It's, you know, it also, just to be fair, because the process of moving to another culture and adapting and adjusting is itself stressful because you're you're always having to learn something new and, and it seemed almost like a like a trick like you you figured it out but you really haven't figured it out totally <laughs> so there's always something that you're tripping up on a little bit it can be stressful in itself so you have to be prepared for the first year or two for a kind of spike in that you just have to be ready for that it's a big thing that hits you you're going to laugh a lot. Just like terribly funny things that happen, the cultural contracts. But I'm keeping you way too long. Let's just have me ask you those those two questions about can two people live on um, less than $50,000 oh, oh, yes. a year? And then can a couple live comfortably on less than $40,000 a year? Well, I can I'm... tell you the answer to both is yes, because we do. And the only thing is that I when I compare notes with other people who have more resources, they travel more and they travel more internationally because every time you leave the country, you're going to be spending several thousand, you know, not the least of which is airfare. So we just don't do that anymore. Okay. If we travel, we're traveling within the country and, you know, not triggering those expensive hotel and travel costs because they add up fast. I mean, we've done it couple of times and man, they add up fast. I mean, you're, you're suddenly getting hit credit cards or whatever, a couple of thousand. I mean, how are you going to fit that into, yeah. you know? And, yeah. and so we just gave up that situation. So now might we get it back? It's possible. Now we can, we can legally work after the fifth year. So maybe we can get some of that back and occasionally, but we've started to talk, well, we could drive to Austria. We could drive to France. We could drive to Spain. You know, I mean, there are other options. We don't have to fly, you know, Absolutely. it's flying now that's so costly. And so, so in your opinion, a couple, two people could live comfortably on not only less than $50,000 a year, but less, less than $40,000 40, yeah. a year. You just have to Marquette. be careful. You, yes. Yeah. You would okay. just. Okay, so you have to change things about your life. We used to eat out once a week, at least once, maybe twice a week. Now it's a couple of times a month. Okay. You know, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's just less of, you know, luxury. Mm -hmm. You know, you make good food at home. <laughs> sure, and it is good food at home. Yeah, 
I'm, from what I've seen, more affordable in terms of groceries and markets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, some of the markets are not. We'll get our fruits and vegetables at street markets, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's usually a lot less. It's like in any life, you look for, like, are there sales? Are there, if you're a regular customer now in some stores, you get a discount. Wow. Not the chain stores, not, but local the, stores. The if, lo- you, if they see that you're coming back repeatedly over years, they will, they just give it to you. you know? How kind. Yeah. Yeah. That's that relationship again. Like, like now I get, this sounds weird, but I get most of my clothes at the street markets. I, I'm not sure where all those clothes come from. I suppose you could have a suspicious <laughs> mind, but I mean, you know, I get excellent lined fitted jeans for 25 euros. Mm-hmm. in shirts for 15. I've replaced all my American clothes within five years. And they now, these they, they bring stuff in knowing I, I would probably like it. Oh Say, well, I brought this, you know, I found this for, for you in, in the wholesaler and and I thought you might appreciate it. And sometimes I buy it, sometimes I don't. Okay. And that doesn't seem to make bother them if I don't. Well, and the, uh, and the fact is that you and Sunny go to the Adriatic and sit yeah, on your yeah. beach chairs and put your feet in the water and you can bring your wonderful homemade picnic lunch and, and right, right. you know, you wander Ascoli Piceno and, and draw with the cost being your cappuccino or your cafe yes, maletti. Right, exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's yeah, I mean, just I sit so there, that's much. the price of sitting there for an hour. <laughs> yes, yes, or however long that you yeah, wanted yeah, to. Right. So I think lifestyle is still rich there, even if you don't have a whole lot of disposable income. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, in, in some weird ways, the culture here is closer to the American ideal of de- democracy, equality, and fairness. You know, we have all of these ideals and then we don't meet them. Mm-hmm. It's the wealthy people that get all the goodies. Yeah. Well, I, why is that right? Why, why wouldn't we want to fix that? Right, right. I don't know. I mean, I just read, was it in one of your articles where, was it, I think it might have actually been in one of your articles where it talked about the average lifespan of governments in the world. And oh, yeah. Around... Yeah. I'm, yeah. A... yeah. And, you know, yeah. reading, yes, that was your article. Reading that really puts into perspective where we are on that strata yeah. of deterioration. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's, it's sad to watch it coming apart. I mean, I'm, I spent my entire career trying to make communities better and being reasonably successful at it. And to see it dissipate and, and kind of go backwards, in time, it's like, why would people let that happen? <laughs> I know. Thank you for, for sure. sharing today. And, yeah, and that, yeah, um, we, I hope to. that you'll come back on and chat some more again, because I think you have Sure, so I'm glad. I'm fun. You're a good person to talk to. Oh, thank you. All right. Hey, have a good Take night. Care. Have a good rest of your weekend. Okay, bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like us and subscribe for more. We will continue to explore regions, towns, taxes, and tips here and on Facebook at Affordable Italy, Living La Dolce Vita on a Bootstring, at Instagram under the same name, and eventually Italyisaffordable.com. If you know anyone who is living in Italy who'd like to converse with me, I'd love to meet them via my email, Italyisaffordable at gmail.com. And now for that much-anticipated limoncello. Chin-chin!